Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Good morning. The Bible reading today is from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Give you a second to find it. We're doing the whole chapter. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness, for the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In fact, we labour and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of everyone, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these things, be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It is so good. The family is back. Uh, Church is back in the flesh as well as in the spirit. So it's always appropriate for uh, Christian brothers and sisters to... um, Uh, ask for God's uh, guidance. So let's just do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an honour to call you, Father. What a privilege. What a gift it is to be in your family. Help us to listen to you and to respond to you as grateful children in your household. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, there's different ways of describing church. It's interesting when I, I just did a little bit of a Google search and I said uh, names for church and they immediately came up with things like uh, cathedral and chapel and things like that. I thought, oh, they missed it. I was so sad that Google came up with that as the first answer because, first of all, uh, the name church is translated from the, the Greek word ecclesia, Uh, which literally means the called out ones. You have been called out by God. You are not here by accident. You've been called out. And uh, another way that uh, the church is described is that we are the body of Christ. 
Uh, that's in Ephesians and Colossians. And we're called the Bride of Christ in Revelation 21.9. Uh, and if we go into 1 Timothy, which is uh, where we're uh, focusing on, in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul tells Timothy, I have written, Timothy, so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. So that's another way of uh, talking about church, and that's going to be our focus uh, for the next uh, three weeks because we're going to finish off what we started does everyone remember at the end of last year when we um, started 1 Timothy? No, you don't, do you? Uh, oh, it was such a long time ago. Uh, so we're continuing in God's household. 1 Timothy is one of three letters in the New Testament uh, known as the pastoral letters or epistles. Uh, it's uh, A pastor is a shepherd who looks after God's household, not sheep. Uh, this pastoral letter was written to Timothy, who was the main pastor in Ephesus in West Turkey, by the Apostle Paul. Paul had travelled through uh, Ephesus with Timothy before, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 20. It was a church that had already had some leaders leading them, some elders. And Paul had warned these leaders that there were going to be some tough times ahead in that church, in Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 28. Paul said, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines, deviant teachings to lure the disciples into following them. And then Paul had uh, told them that uh, he wouldn't be returning to Ephesus. And so he, he left his protege, uh, Timothy. Well, protege is actually a, a bit of a weak word and even mentor doesn't quite uh, catch it. In the beginning of uh, 1 Timothy, when he addresses Timothy in uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul calls him his son in the faith. Well, there you go. That, that's a, a family term, isn't it? That's how Paul saw his relationship with Timothy. They were a close spiritual family. Paul trusted Timothy, but he hadn't finished giving uh, Timothy directions on how to keep the church family at Ephesus alive and vibrant and protected and healthy and strong in the Lord. Paul had already told the church elders there that it was going to be a tough job looking after the household of God in Ephesus. But it was going to be worth it because it's God's household. It's a great expression, God's household, as we go over these next three weeks. It was God's adopted family, as every church is. And um, it was a household with problems. Hard to believe that, isn't it? A problem with, um, within the uh, household, and there were going to be enemies, as every church does to some degree. 
I'm not being paranoid there. I think that's biblical realism. Timothy was going to need a lot of wisdom and courage and prayer support in his job of looking after that church, like people who are looking after churches all over the world do. Last year, we finished chapter 3, where Timothy had uh, been given guidelines to help choose leaders and to guide uh, the appropriate qualified leaders for the church. And that's where we pick up now in this letter in chapter 4, where we find life is now not easy in the church at Ephesus. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. The Holy Spirit had communicated this message before and is doing it again. The Spirit says is another way of saying Scripture says, which is another way of saying God says. And the Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ. Uh, Paul says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. So when we listen to Jesus, we're listening to the Spirit. We're listening to the Spirit. We're listening to the, uh, the teaching of Jesus. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 24 to his disciples. From verse 11, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. False messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And Jesus says then, take note, I have told you in advance. That's certain, isn't it? says a very similar thing you see in Mark chapter 13, verse 22. When Paul talks about the later days in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, uh, it's the same as when he calls, uh, talks about the last days in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Um, it's this time between the resurrection of Jesus and his return. The resurrection has happened. He has not returned yet. And this is the time which Timothy was in between. And we are too, only a little further along the timeline. We are closer to the time when Jesus is going to return. And the takeaway idea here is that all the warnings are very relevant for us here. We have to think hard about the, the form that this doctrine of demons takes in any particular place and time. But for us, we've got to think about it in our time as well. For Timothy, the issues were named in verse 3. They might seem to be a little strange. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. There's all sorts of problems with that. Uh, if they forbid marriage, then... Um, yeah, yeah. Biological growth is one way that churches grow. <laughs> These two examples are sometimes covered under the name asceticism. That's where the ascetic denies himself or herself of something. Of course, denying yourself something is not always wrong. 
I'm sure you've all denied things for some greater good. It can be godly, but it's not always right, as is the case here. Both marriage and food are gifts from God. And in forcing Christians to give up what the Bible clearly allows, these false, and it's not, they're not saying give up all food. That wouldn't last very long, would it? But it's particular foods. It's some sort of food code that they've um, um, brought up. And um, in forcing Christians to give up what the Bible clearly allows, these false teachers had removed opportunities for people to praise and thank God. Verse 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Uh, you know, you do have to read, read that sort of in context where it says um, <clears throat> everything created by God is good and nothing should be rejected. Uh, it's, I'm not suggesting that uh, you take your children into your backyard and let them go free for all with Oh, uh, nasturtium. They won't hurt themselves with a nasturtium. But what about an oleander leaf? You know, uh, right things in the right times. So, uh, and that's what uh, Paul is telling Timothy here. Uh, everything is created good by God and therefore they are not to be seen as bad and somehow will disrupt your godliness. These teachers had sucked the joy out of their followers, sucked the joy out of their church, which has been a theme of something that we've been looking at over the last month, isn't it? You know, that um, how, how do we grow stronger? By keeping in the joy of the Lord. Now, you may wonder what the difference is between this ascetic life, these rules of the false teachers, and what real godly discipline is, because the Bible does talk about godly discipline, uh, which Paul is going to be talking about in this chapter. They both appear to be working hard at spiritual things. So what's the difference? Paul touches on this all the way through chapter 4, and now you've got the, the code for it as you're going through. You'll, you'll notice this. Um, the false teachers, these ascetics were actually working from a self-centred basis. They were self-centred, whereas Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, stay Christ-centred. Self-centred versus Christ-centred. That's the difference. Of course, there are things that are not good for Christians to be involved in, but a careful, prayerful study of God's word will reveal that. We know that from um, another uh, part of uh, the pastoral um, letters in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. That's where you find in God's word. Um, don't be involved in a shady business deal. Don't gossip. Don't just do what the crowd is doing. Don't be ashamed of Jesus in any situation. These are the things that are good things for us to, to uh, not be involved with. Don't be ashamed of Jesus in any situation. 
Don't grow thankless for what God has done through Jesus for you. You know, do, do you believe this, that every don't along with every do in the Bible is there because God loves you? It's there for your help. It's there for your growth. It's there for your spiritual protection, even when it hurts. And if Timothy keeps pointing out how to live a thankful life to God, to the people in his church, then he will be, in verse 6, what? A good servant of Christ Jesus, as opposed to a bad servant who is teaching the doctrines of demons. Friends, brothers, sisters, please pray for Craig and the leadership teams that we can lead well and that we can train well. Look at verse 7. Paul goes on to say to Timothy, but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has a limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How do you train in godliness? Step one, know what you're talking about when you talk about godliness. Have you got a good solid idea of what the Bible's talking about when it, it talks about godliness. The actual Greek word doesn't actually have the word God in it. It's got a, a, a different root. It's got a different idea. Uh, it's not primarily about morality at all. Last year, we finished with Paul's surprising explanation of godliness that was given in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Now, I feel quite comfortable doing this, going back to chapter 3, although we're looking at chapter 4, because you know that when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't divide it up in chapters and verses. So if you just go a little bit before this argument that Paul is giving, you see in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, this is what godliness is. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. What is it? He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Not a word about ethics or morality there. You see, the word translated godliness, it literally means to fall back before. You got that? There's a couple of uh, to fall back before. So you meet something that is awesome or someone who is awesome. And as you're there in the presence of this awesomeness, you fall back before the object that you're in, in awe of. And no one is more awesome than Jesus. And nothing is more awesome than the gospel of Jesus. The good news of what Jesus did on the cross to pay the ransom or the cost for our sin, our rebellion against God. Godliness is about Jesus. It's not about morality. I'm not saying morality is not important, but godliness is about Jesus. Godliness is when we are focused on Jesus. When we start, start with thinking that godliness is about being good, then we have taken away the essence of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, haven't we? 
As soon as you add something to the gospel or take something away from the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. Mystery, uh, Paul called this godliness in the original language of the uh, New Testament a mysterion. What does that sound like? Mysterion? Mystery. That's right. That's usually uh, the way it's uh, translated in most of our uh, Bible versions because that's what the Greek word sounds like. But um, as we've mentioned, actually over the last couple of years, a number of times, we found that a better word actually is secret because this godliness was a secret that was eventually revealed, it's no longer a mystery, when Jesus came into the world. He was manifested in the flesh. What does that mean? He had now and has a human body. The secret of godliness is now exposed in Jesus. It only stays hidden if you don't open up God's word to see what it is. It's the Jesus who was vindicated by the Spirit when he was raised from the dead. He now has a resurrected human body forever. And he remains 100% God. That's our certain hope for eternity. We can be with God forever in our newly resurrected, perfected bodies when Jesus returns because Jesus rose from the dead. He paved the way for us. The devil and the demons don't want that secret out. So any teaching that either flatly denies this godliness, this message about Jesus, or seeks to substitute it with a different way of getting right with God or a different way of being godly is the doctrine of demons. Uh, is that surprising to you? And it's this doctrine of demons that's delivered by deceitful human agents, false teachers. Chapter 4 in 1 Timothy is all about the good teaching from the Holy Spirit about Jesus contrasted with the bad teaching by demons delivered by false teachers. How do you train yourself in godliness? <clears throat> Step one, know what you are talking about when you talk about godliness. Step two, commit yourself to learning all you can about this godliness about Jesus from the Bible. And if you are numerical, I'm sorry, I'm going to muck it up for you. Step two and a half, because it is so linked to it. It wouldn't hurt to read a few good Christian books that can help you focus on who the Jesus of the Bible is. And one book I would recommend is a book called Man Made. By, uh, and it's uh, subtitled, Why God Became Human is So Shocking, So Necessary, and So Life-Saving. Uh, it is uh, by an obscure Australian author by the name of Craig Hamilton. Now, you can go out and buy it. Uh, you can't get it any cheaper because of this, but uh, I, I don't think we can. I don't know. Uh, but we can arrange to get it signed by the author for free. Um, uh, it's got a very helpful section on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 that we've looked at. It's uh, very, very helpful. And if you forget the name, just think of the musical. Okay? Uh, how, how do you train yourself in godliness? 
Uh, we looked at uh, step one, two, two and a half. Step three, sensitize yourself to the myths that confuse who Jesus really is. Step two and a half can help you with that. You read the Bible, read good books about Jesus. And in verse seven, Timothy is told, have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. The New English translation captures the idea with have nothing to do with myths fit only for the godless and gullible. The idea that not marrying or not eating certain foods somehow makes you more godly or makes you fitter for heaven are myths. Now, I think Paul might have actually been thinking of other things as well, but it certainly includes this. They're myths. It's not reality. It's not truth. There have been times in church history uh, where um, different things uh, become, become myths. Uh, in the Middle Ages, when the, uh, the dominant attitude <coughs> um, in uh, regards to sexual love was that uh, it was inherently evil. And in the 16th century, there was a series of meetings by the Roman Catholic Church to respond to doctrinal challenges uh, by the Reformation. Uh, it was called the Council of Trent. And one of the issues that this particular council reaffirmed, they said, this is what we are teaching as a church, is that virginity was superior to the married state. Virginity was superior to the married state. Doesn't that sound a bit like what we're reading about in 1 Timothy 4? Maybe it's not so removed. And the medieval church actually at that point kept adding days that married people were not allowed to have sex until it added up to more than six months in the, in the year. Uh, one commentator, Brian Chappell, uh, Riley wrote, no wonder there was a reformation. Of course, the doctrines of demons can be found at both ends of this spectrum over history. And now there's a huge support for sex outside of marriage, even within churches, some churches. The devil is happy when we leave the biblical pattern. These false teachers are pretending because Paul exposed them in verse 2 as hypocritical liars and I'd imagine that as um, some of these false teachers got wind of what Paul had been teaching Timothy, uh, they would be highly offended. You know, Paul still has the ability to offend people. Um, I've heard on more than one occasion someone saying that they love Jesus, but they absolutely hate Paul. Maybe you've had that experience. Talk to people long enough and they... Um, they think, oh, yeah, Paul was a misogynist or Paul was all of these things. Um, and that's a sign <clears throat> that a person is already on the slippery slope to denying the good news of Jesus because all Scripture is God-breathed. To deny the Bible is aligning yourself with the strategies, the doctrines of demons. You become an enemy of the gospel. And they were the people that Timothy had to prepare himself against. And so he had to train himself in godliness, remembering what godliness is. 
The word that Paul uses for train is where we get the word gymnasium. And I want you to imagine for a moment two guys in a gym. Uh, the first one, he's there and he's, uh, he does a, a relaxed circuit of the, uh, the exercise stations. And he starts off determined to get through the reps, uh, but then the lactic acid hits and his muscles start really burning and, and, uh, and it's hurting. And he thinks of all the other things he could be doing and he gets bored and he visits less and less until he stops. The second guy comes along determined to stick at it. He sees his goal and he plods along until that goal is reached. And then he sets another goal and he gets through each barrier as it comes along and breaks through it by a commitment to enduring no matter what. That's Timothy working out in God's gym in the household of God. And so Timothy had to train himself in godliness. And so does our church with an emphasis on our leaders, whether it's Craig, uh, the rest of the, uh, the leadership team, growth group leaders, uh, kids and youth ministry leaders, and what about you parents and grandparents? We've got a generation that's been pulled away from a basic understanding of the good news of Jesus. Maybe it's time to try reading an age-appropriate Christian book with them, the Bible. Offer to pray with them. Share with them your hope in, as Paul said to Timothy, in the living God who is the saviour that all people must come to to be saved. And for those who come to him, who trust in him, they will be saved because it's on the basis of the mystery of godliness, which is what Jesus has done. That Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Uh, Timothy was probably in his 30s when this was um, written. And in those days, from my perspective, that was very young. Some of you, you think, oh, 30s, that's pretty old. But uh, here he is. He's in the responsible situation in this uh, church in Ephesus. And Paul gives him a clear challenge. Verse 12, let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in. This is a wonderful list. Be an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. The focus is now on living out his confidence in Jesus as found in the word of God. And as far as his list of specific duties, as we listen to this in verse 13, are we doing it here? Let's, let's see. Timothy was to give his attention to public reading. What he's talking about there is public reading of God's word. Uh, in those days, the written word of God, the Bible, the parts of the Bible that were available, would have been very expensive. Not many people would have had it. How many Bibles have you got at home? Do you know if you were able to take it back 2,000 years, you'd be a millionaire. You've got millions of dollars of value looking back 2,000 years. When God's household meets, we need to get around the word of God together, get under the word of God together so our belief systems can be corrected and we can be challenged and we can actually comfort each other with true comfort that comes from understanding Jesus. And then 
Timothy was to give attention to exhortation. Another word that you could use there is coaching. Uh, we need to be coached in applying God's word. So we, we can have our spiritual muscles exercised so we're ready to hit the streets with the good news of Jesus. And uh, for those who are in growth groups, you know, this is where it happens. This is where you get coached. We're coaching each other. And Paul told Timothy to give his attention to teaching. We need to be systematically taken through God's word so we can continue to build up the big picture of God's plan. Remember Craig saying a couple of weeks ago, um, um, focus on what you do know, and then the next time you come around, things will start to whoop, come together more and more and more, and it builds up. That's what teaching does. We systematically build up a picture of God's word so we can make a difference. Verse 16 is really a summary reminder of everything that Paul was teaching Timothy uh, between uh, verses 6 and 15. He summarises saying, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for by doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. A few interesting little things there that you might not have been expecting Paul to stick in. He's a gospel man, isn't he? How are you saved? You're saved by what Jesus has done. What is he saying here? You'll uh, save yourself and your hearers by doing these things, uh, paying attention to your life and your teaching. First, we need to see what Paul is not saying. He's not telling Timothy to work for his salvation. That's already been paid for by who? Good. Yes. Timothy is to watch his life and his teaching. They go together. He's to see that both match up with the godliness that is already in Jesus, that he has in Jesus. Timothy is to live and breathe the gospel. That's how he becomes an effective, good minister, servant of God. When he bleeds, he is to bleed Bible. So what is Paul telling Timothy in verse uh, 16 to do? How will Timothy's life and teaching save, uh, save himself and his listeners? Uh, another verse actually helps. It's uh, from Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It's a great verse. Philippians 2, 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It does not say work for your salvation. What Paul is saying to Timothy is the same that he told to the Philippian Christians, to work out the salvation that is already in him through the work of Jesus. Now, whether it's Timothy or Timothy's hearers, or whether it's us looking over the shoulder of Timothy as he's reading this. The good news of Jesus is where God's household finds salvation. So you stick to the gospel. You persevere in holding on to the gospel of Jesus. That's where the church finds its salvation. And if you haven't already got it, that's where you will find salvation as well. In Jesus in what he has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please develop in all of us an ability to discern good teaching from the teaching of demons. Protect us from hypocrisy and self-centeredness and silly myths. 
Please help us to grow in godly speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Help us to live out the mystery of godliness. And thank you so much for Jesus. Amen.